come. Walk down the winding path. Don't mind the spooks and monsters. They stay hidden within the trees. There are mysteries in this world that you need to know, and paranormal truths that need to be told. Come, step up into the caravan while we share tales of old, as well as new accounts about things you thought only existed in your nightmares. Thank you for stopping by the Caravan of Lore. Please take a moment to review our presentation and rate us on your favorite listening platform. And remember, you can be an integral part of the show by becoming our patron. You can follow us at the Caravan Library of Lore group page on Facebook or the Caravan of Lore on both Instagram and Twitter. If you have had an experience or peculiar event happen to you, please feel free to share. Just visit for all the information just mentioned at caravanoflore.com. Tonight I have the distinct privilege of speaking with Sean Forker, a 20-year seasoned cricket researcher, as he shares his personal terrifying tale back in 2012. I was, there's an area of Pennsylvania called Gray Station, um, and it's an area that's had a lot of Bigfoot activity over the years in Westmoreland County. Okay. And if you ever hear the Pennsylvania investigators, Westmoreland County is a pretty active hotspot. It's right at the base of the Chestnut Ridge. Right. Uh, or actually, it sits on the Chestnut Ridge. I think Gray Station's actually on the ridge. So it, it, it's there, uh, very present. And it's an active train uh, thoroughfare that goes through there. And over the years, there's been people that have actually witnessed a Bigfoot pick a deer up and sling it over its shoulder right. and run down the tracks into the woods because there's deer getting hit by those train tracks all the time. Uh-huh. It's like an all-you-can-eat buffet for Bigfoot there. Right. Uh, so so people claim. So we had uh, decided on one night that that's the area we were going to go investigate. So it was, oh, uh, Dave and Cindy Dragason, good friends of mine from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denny and Colleen Callisti, some of the, my favorite people on the planet, they, they were really heavily into the research uh, in Pennsylvania. They don't do as much anymore, but, you know, both groups of these people now are in their 60s. So they're older, more established researchers at the time than I was, very credible people. Down the road, we kind of walked about a mile and a half, two miles away from them, and it was myself and Billy Willard, for anybody who's familiar with Big footing. Billy Willard is a pretty uh, known investigator from uh, West Virginia, or Virginia, not West Virginia. Uh, Bill Bracco from Ohio, uh, my friend Matt, and myself, we all went down, like I said, a mile and a half, two miles away from everybody else. And Billy and Phil sat on one side of this uh, little levee, and, and Matt and I sat in the other facing a soy field and a, a tree line. And then Billy and Phil sat on the other side facing the train tracks and then another wood line. And it starts raining and we're sitting there through the night and Billy thinks he sees some eye shine in the woods. So he shines his flashlight. And, you know, it makes the remark to me that he sees some eye shine, but, you know, it's starting to rain pretty good and we really didn't know uh, how much longer we're going to be out there. So he's just keeping an eye on it, you know. Well, I've got this fog rolling in on the soy field. 
and it's like Vance, the creepiest fog you could think of. Thick, bellowing, just rolling into this field with the tree line. And I'm getting ready to think of there's zombies popping out of this cornfield. It's going to be a night of living dead thing. Mm-hmm. So I hear this, hey guys, hey guys, help. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And uh, Billy, uh, is, uh, you can kind of hear Billy struggle. Here, you hear Phil, hey guys, guys, I fell in a hole. Phil fell thigh high deep into a gopher hole. All right. Phil's a big guy, about 200, 300 pounds. He's not a small, small fella. Wow. And we get him out of this. Out of this hole, and we, and you know, you know, Billy looks at him and goes, "Well, get out of it." His uh, Virginia accent, and we're having a laugh about it. And he can see this eye shine again, so he's telling me about the eye shine as we're getting Phil out of this hole and trying to pack up and get going. You know, it's getting foggy, and as we start walking down, you hear some crackling in the woods next to us. And all of a sudden, this softball-sized rock comes flying out of the woods between myself and Billy. What? Wow. Flying right between us. And uh, it hit with such a loud thud that I almost soiled myself. And we just kind of didn't stick around to see what was going on. We started, you know, post-chase making our way out of there up to the rest of the group. And uh, that was a pretty interesting experience we had down at Gray Station. And like I told you, there's a lot of activity that happens down there. So that night, we go and we, you know, hook up with uh, Dave and Cindy, and we're driving up this mountain road uh, to the top of the Chestnut Ridge. And we're talking to these people out here, and, you know, they ask us, you know, what we're doing, and they live out there. And they look at us and stop, and they're like, you know, we're thinking they're going to make fun of us because we're, you know, we're, you know, they think we're crazy and everything. They stop and tell us, oh, we know th- these things are here. We hear them all the time. And they proceed to start explaining this howl that they hear almost routinely up on the ridge. So for anybody who doesn't think happenings up on the ridge, uh, Vance, there are people that I had never met before in my life that in a roadside conversation, them checking out to see what we were doing up on their property, near their property, decide to tell us that they have this ongoing vocal experience with these creatures it was just it made the hair of my arm stand up wow that they were so sure a hundred percent convinced that they didn't need to see it to know that it was out there through vocalizations though you said through vocalizations Hmm. they just hear this thing all the time they said i wonder if it's the same one I don't know. Well, you know, and that was a question at the time. I was so naive. I didn't even think to ask. I was just like enthralled. Right. I I think I was 19 years old at that time. Mm And I wasn't very old. I was just a kid still wet behind the ears talking to these people. And I'm just enthralled. But holy crap, there's something going on up there. Mm -hmm. My first experience up on the Chestnut Ridge, I was so scared. I couldn't even go into the woods. I stayed by the car uh, in this uh, oak, in this clearing in the woods while everybody else went and investigated. I think one or two other people stayed back with me. But I was so scared I couldn't even go into the woods up there my first time. Really? There's just something about these places. And it, I, I don't know at that time if it was because I was so young and impressionable or if there was just really 
a reaction that I had that you could just feel the energy from this place. Well, there is something called intuition, so intuition plays into a lot of things for a reason. It's in our DNA. And and there was another time out in the Keystone State Forest, uh, which is on the ridge, and I'm with uh, Tim Cassidy. He's a researcher now out of Indiana. He worked at Yellowstone as a park ranger. He's a biologist, so he's, he's pretty credentialed. And he and I are, had gone back to this area we were at previously during the day. We had come back because the weather was rough a little earlier. And uh, we go back, and all of a sudden, Tim, like, doubles over in pain, and he's getting ready to hurl. And I'm just hit with this overwhelming sense of nausea and confusion. And there's this huge crashing through the woods. It's not like somebody's driving a bulldozer through it. And fight or fight clicked in, so, you know, again, I was young. My dumbass ran after it. Well, Eric Altman and the other uh, PA Bigfoot Society guys were running after me because I'm running after this thing that we can't see in the woods. I never did see what it was I was chasing, but it was big. And we go out to one of those power line clearings to meet up, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So after I'm done getting yelled at for, uh, you know, chasing something, not knowing what I'm chasing, uh, Norm Gagnon from uh, Maryland, who's a well-known UFO researcher, uh, he kind of stayed at the back of the group, noticed a humanoid-shaped figure standing at the tree line watching us exit the area. Oh, good God. That Now, we didn't stick around that much longer to pay attention to that, and he didn't volunteer that until really a little later when he was looking at some photos that he took, um, as a funnel cloud was starting to descend uh, very close to the area we were standing. So we decided that the weather was starting to pick back up and get nasty. We were getting the heck out of Dodge. What are the odds of that? It was just uh, that place thing. You know, and like I said, there's very few sightings or encounters that I've had. Uh, I've had one sighting, and I've had encounters, but I've been doing this for over 20 years, and on one hand, I could still count the amount of intense moments or encounters that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what keeps you going, though. Seriously. I mean, it's something like that that keeps you wanting to know the answer. Well, my Clearfield experience, my Rock and Mountain experience, almost made me quit. <laughs> I was done. I left that morning from that place of a night of terror, uh, and I called my wife. We stopped at a convenience store to get some gas, and it's like a convenience restaurant type deal. We got some food, and I called my wife on my cell phone, and I told her I was done. I'm, after this trip, I'm never... I'm coming home. I'm never doing anything like this again. I was spinning. I was doing Beyond the Edge Radio at the time. I uh, told Eric that I didn't want to do that anymore, that I was really, I was done with this whole field, this whole business. I was, I was out of it. It scared me that much. Wow. Wow. And I, today I still have a, well, I'll tell you the story because it's not fair for me to keep doing this way like that. So you can hear me all right? Yes, yeah, no, absolutely. We, we had 
with the express intent of purposes of conducting uh, an outing up in Rockton Mountain in Clearfield County. Uh, we are up there with the intent purpose of, uh, you know, researching Bigfoot for the weekend. We had found this area that we've all been to a, a dozen times. It was a clearing, and uh, my buddy Dustin went to get a camping permit because in some places in PA you need a permit. And this lady didn't have any idea about the clearing we were talking about. So that should have been our first indicator that something wasn't right. And so she gave us the permit anyway. So I'm out there with Dave Rupert, Ryan Cavalline, Eric Altman, uh, Ray, my buddy Ray, my buddy Justin, and myself. And we knew going out there that the only people that were going to be camping overnight were me, Ray, and Dustin. So we had conducted some, you know, vocalizations and stuff about 8, 15, 8, 30. Uh, you know, we're starting to get a little fire made and, we're walking around, and Eric and Dave and Ryan are getting ready to take off for the night because they're going to come back the next morning. We're cutting it a little early that night because we were going to get up very early in the morning and start investigating because we felt that early morning hours were going to be prime time, like 4 or 5 a.m. We were going to get up and, you know, see if we can get any kind of, you know, morning acti- early morning activity. So we're sitting there, it's just the three of us, and the tree line's probably about 25 feet behind Ray. Ray's facing away from the tree line, facing myself and Dustin. I'm facing Ray with the tree line visibly in my sight. Dustin's off to my left, but he's got the full tree line in his view. And through the smoke of the campfire, I saw something run behind Ray into the woods. Well, I kind of shook it off for a second. I look at Dustin. Dustin's looking at me, and he goes, did you see that? I'm like, well, thank God you asked, because I thought I was seeing something. So you could hear, we got up and ran to the tree line. You could hear something running through the woods. Hmm. Vance, what I saw was very large, and it moved so gracefully. It was like a light, beigeous, tannish color. But Vance, I swear it looked like it was a giant, it glided like a sloth glides, but much faster. Okay? Right. And it cleared that clearing into the woods so quick, I, I really had a hard time processing it. That's crazy. So we're amped up thinking, wow, you know, that's really cool. Uh, you know, I can't believe this has happened. And we're sitting there for a couple more hours and nothing's going on. So we put the fire out, we take the logs off the fire, and we're settling in. Because remember, I told you we're going to get up in a few more hours here, and we're going to start early morning early morning activities. Right. Well, about midnight, maybe a little before midnight, we're lying in the tent, and I hear footballs walking around our campsite. And I'm listening, and I'm like, Okay, this is weird. This is definitely, it's bipedal at this point. It's not quadrupedal, it's bipedal. Uh You can tell when something's bipedal because of how it, you know, how it moves. Right. And I see see Dustin's cell phone come on inside his sleeping bag. And I'm hearing these footballs go around our campsite, like close to the tent. I'm like, I'm getting really creeped out here. I'm like, Dustin, are you awake? He goes, Jeremy, I'm just listening to this. What the hell? And he and I are having a conversation about getting out. 
all of a sudden you can see this glowing orange kind of light coming from the uh, outside our tent. So Dustin gets up, he throws his boots on, jumps out. Something had restarted the fire in our campsite. Oh, no. Something had moved the logs no. back onto the fire. Oh, no. Okay, no. and I'm, fr I'm freaking out at this point. Oh, yeah. I'm oh. looking for my shoes. Dustin's like, Sean, throw me my gun, or Fork, throw me my gun. I don't remember which name he called me. Very few people call me Sean, so. Right. Uh, I literally throw him his gun, and as I go to get out, he goes, shit, look. And off to my off to my right goes that same color-sized creature running up the camp, running up this little hill next to our campsite. And I'm like, holy shit, did we just, what the hell's going on? So I'm freaked out. I get on my cell phone. I run to the center of the campsite because it's the only place I get service, and I call Carrie, Dave's wife, to see if Dave made it home. Because I want somebody's ass to come back and get us out of here. I don't want to stay there anymore. Right. Because I'm freaked out. There's just uh -huh. three of us here. Uh -huh. This thing is large. Uh -huh. I feel incredibly threatened because it's walking around our campsite, and the son of a gun just put the logs in the fire, and the fire started back up again. Oh, my. Freaked me out, man, because that made oh, me feel like man. it was watching us right. earlier through oh. the night. It was watching us. Yep. So, yep. raised out of the tent. And, and we're standing around talking, and Carrie got a hold of Dave, and Dave and Ryan drove uh, drove back to the area and hiked back in. And Ryan still has the film footage of our initial reactions because he was making a documentary or a, a documentary movie called uh, uh, "The Search for Frank Peterson: Mountain Devil." Okay. And he was going to use that. He actually asked us if he could use that as B-roll because we were genuinely frightened. And they stayed around a little bit, and they managed to convince us to stay, and they talked to us, got us calmed down. We got back into the tent. They kind of bibwhacked out in the, like, hid in a bush for about an hour. And then they radio in, hey, nothing's happening. I think we're going to leave. We'll be back tomorrow. And uh, Dustin are like, okay, well, I don't think anything's going to happen anymore either. End of story. So they leave, and we're lying there, and probably an hour later, here comes something through our campsite again. Oh, no. No. And we're at the ready. Dustin and I rig it out, and I'm like, you know what? You're taking a chance with your life out here. If you're somebody, identify yourself because you're screwing around with us, and you're going to get hurt. We've got a gun. If you don't identify yourself, and you come after us, we're going to shoot you. And you could see something through the moonlight and the fire still going. You could see something moving back and forth from behind a tree. <laughs> so I, Dustin pointed his gun at it. And I'm like, shoot it, Dustin. Shoot it now. Just take it out. And Dustin's like, I can't. I can't shoot it. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to kill it. Right. So Ray throws a glow stick out into the woods. Glow stick hits the ground sit there for a little bit, all of a sudden it gets up and it moves. Uh -huh. And I just laid on it, all right, quit messing with us. You know, you're really, you know, you're picking us off. You're, you're yelling this shots, at this point? Go. Are you yelling this we, at this point? Oh, I'm yelling. Okay. I'm yelling at this okay. thing at this point. Right. Like, get the hell out of here, leave right. us alone. Uh 
we ran out to the tree line. Uh, the glow stick was dropped at some point. We didn't try to go back in after it. Uh-uh. Uh, we're just kind of standing there circling each other, you know, what's going on. So we get back into the tent and, uh, we just, we just lay there. It starts to rain a little bit. And, uh, I figured with the rain, nothing was going to bother us. And at some point, there was this huge flash of light. All right. Uh-huh. I thought, Maybe it was the flash on a game camera that Eric and them had placed earlier. Okay. And we got up probably, uh, I think, whatever, it was like five, a little after five when the lights started breaking. We threw everything into the plastic totes, and I ran the mile and a half, two miles back to my car. Uh, we loaded it up, and we got the hell out of there. While we're driving back, and all this is going on, Ray goes, something touched me through that tent last night. No, no, no. And, no. like, we're already creeped out going on, and I had never thought that it got that close. But Ray said something touched him in that tent. In fact, I saw Ray a couple weekends ago And we just sat there and talked about that day and just each other's body language. You could tell there's still just a discomfort about it. Uh-huh. Vance, I don't know what the hell it was. I don't claim to know what it was. All I can tell you is you can call Eric Altman. You can call Lon Strickler. Right. And they'll tell you. You can call Dave Rupert and they'll tell you whatever we experienced, it changed me. Right. And I almost quit. I almost left this whole field because of that experience. I can't say I blame you. No, to have that kind of knowledge that you had going into it and to have that experience, I I probably would have packed it up and said, okay, I, I've had enough. Well, I think we would have if I wasn't afraid of, you know, if I wasn't that afraid of a lack of light or a lack of visible terrain between me and my vehicle. Right. Two miles doesn't seem like a lot, but in the middle of the night in the pitch dark oh, right. and you're carrying stuff, and there's something out there messing with you. That that might as well be a thousand miles. Oh sure, and and I'm sure you're having that thought that this thing is just going to step out in front of you at any given second. Oh, I thought yeah. that after we had got rid of it the first time, it would have left us alone. Right. But the fact when the fire started back up, and we thought we had put the kit, we thought we put the you know the the. Uh, Oh, I guess what would amount to hot coals. I thought we put it out, and mm-hmm. it just it, the fire starting back up, man. That is what made me think this thing was watching us for a while. Sure, and it just creeped me out, and I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it. I no, don't no hyperbole at all, right? But the fact that it came back after they left, and we were calmed down, and it was quiet again, like. I, I don't think I ever felt that it was trying to hurt us, right. but I was still afraid of why and, and curious as to why it kept coming back. That was just that I almost felt. Now that I'm thinking about it, I, I feel like it was a. Uh, I was being predated on. You know what I mean? Like it was either checking to see what we were going to do, or it mm-hmm. really wanted something to do with us. Mm-hmm. 
look, you guys, when you exited the tent, I'm assuming that you guys were probably feared. And Oh, yeah. And you see somebody that is scared, and if that's what you're trying to do to them, you've accomplished what it is that you've been trying to do, is to scare them. And now you have to look at the dynamic of the group too. Justin and I are both five five, five six. On uh, if our shoes are being generous to us that day, uh-huh. uh, Ray is six four. Ray six three six four, about three hundred three hundred fifty pounds. Uh-huh. Dustin and I are much smaller than Ray, and you think with Ray coming out, it might have changed the dynamic. I don't think it changed the dynamic at all. Right. But when Ray said. When Ray said something touched him through that tent, yeah, yeah, uh, that it just it shivers me because I I never thought to that point that it had gotten that close. Uh huh. Oh man, that is so scary. And you know, Terrifying between a tent and a, and a human body, you know, that millimeter or three millimeters of uh, nylon. Yeah, that's nylon is that's not. Very encouraging. No. And, of course, you know, you can be an armchair quarterback and say, well, I would have done that. No, in that moment, you're responding probably the same way I would or any rational human being would when you're experiencing that moment. And that's the same. You know, I've had that people ask me, why didn't you have a camera? We did have a camera. But do you think in that moment we mm. thought to grab that camera? No, you're you're thinking of no, yeah, flight or fight. Yeah. In that moment, right. we're thinking of what the hell's out there, and because you know, again, Bigfoot might have been on our mind, but at that point in time, someone screwing around with us was a bigger threat to me in that moment mm-hmm. than a Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't seen anything. I probably would have chalked it up to some serial killer out there trying to get us. Right. And you're not the first one to say something like that. And, you know, Ray's not the first one to say that I've heard that maybe once, maybe twice, and, and possibly, Ray, about being touched in the tent. I've, I and have the, heard the important that. Thing to, the important thing to note about Ray Vance is that Ray's not as versed in this as I am. Uh-huh. Ray and Dustin got into this because of me. Right. They don't have background stories of anecdotal evidence and secondary evidence and characteristics of stories of things like this that happen that they've read. Mm-hmm. You know, they only got into this because their buddies into this and they wanted to come out and really enjoy and get into the experience. Right. Ray wasn't an, a seasoned investigator. Hmm. Dustin wasn't a seasoned investigator. I'm the seasoned investigator in this moment. And Vance, I'm telling you, I didn't know what to do. No, grabbing a camera was not even on my radar at nope. that point. In time. No, in fact, we didn't even think about that till uh, I think maybe Eric asked me about that question. Maybe, I don't even think he was that stupid or insensitive enough to ask me that question. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. think it, it was something that somebody outside the field asked me later. Maybe my dad or my uncle asked me. You know, did we have a camera with us? So, you know, people that aren't, again, aren't even really in the field. I listened to that entire story that you just shared, and I have my eyes closed, and I'm putting myself in that situation the best that I can, as if I was there too, and you're telling it to me so that I can paint the picture in my mind's eye and in my imagination. 
And of course, I can't touch the intensity of the fear that you would have experienced, but it has to be overwhelmingly, yeah, I don't blame you for wanting to just pack it up and say, that's it, I'm done. There's there's things out there that maybe I should not be sitting in its backyard. Uh, it was humbling. Yeah, uh, that's a good th- word. That's the only thing I can say. In, in the most reverent, respective way, it was humbling. And, you know, to this day, I've told that story maybe a dozen times now. I, I don't tell the story a lot. It's very personal to me. Uh it seems like the more and more I tell it, the more and more I remember of it happening. Uh-huh. It's almost like a reliving a trauma, right. in, in a sense. I think talking to Ray a couple weekends ago, you know, between him and I, really kind of shakes some more details loose or, you know, kind of set some things straight. Because, you know, you always remember things from one point of view. Uh-huh. And then you talk to somebody who else is experienced, and you're like, well, maybe it did happen this way, right. you know. Right. And, and, you know, being able to, you know, share that with him, you know, these years later, that happened in 2012. You know, God, almost six, six years ago, in the end of September, September 27th, I think, was the day it happened. Okay. Uh, you remember that like a birthday, you know what I mean? Right, no. Uh, yeah, I get you know, you share that experience, and you're able to talk about it. It, it, it you know, it, it gets a little easier. We had gone back there together. We had all gone back maybe a year or two years later, and... Uh, I don't know. It didn't feel quite the same, but I didn't feel the same feeling I felt that night. Did you go back the same uh, time of year? Yeah, same time of year. Okay. Uh, actually, let me tell you, we choose that time of year because the rattlesnakes don't tend to be out bothering us. Oh, well, that's helpful. Yeah. So uh, the later in the fall we go, I'm a little <laughs> bit more confident that the rattlesnakes aren't as out. And- what is the irony in that? That the rattlesnakes, <laughs> that's what you're terrified of. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I know it's weird. I cannot make. I was in a, a cornfield once on an investigation with my old partner Ernie Delt. The king snake went through my legs, and I jumped up. He caught me like a bride on her wedding night. He had wow. to carry me out of the field. I wouldn't get back down. <laughs> well, that paints I the don't picture. Do Thank snakes, you, man. Wow. I don't do snakes. Yeah. But again. This, this time of year, you know, we're getting into September. I pick up my research a lot in the fall. I'm a, the fall and winter, it's not unusual for me to be out at a creek side or in the middle of the woods at negative two degrees below zero. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like fall and winter and early spring are my favorite times to investigate. Right. And here, they seem to be very active times in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Well, you definitely live in a hotbed state, just like I do. And if people think of Illinois, don't think of just Chicago, because Chicago is just a pinprick on the state of Illinois. The rest of it is all rural, open countries and forest lands through the majority, and there's lots of water tributaries. And there's a lot of reports that come out of Illinois, crazy things, cryptid and otherwise. Thanks for sharing all that. I really appreciate it, Sean. Thank you for stopping well, by. Well, hey, and, you know, I and, think I've, uh, I think I've, uh, I teased it enough over the years, and it just kind of felt like that. We were talking about it. We might as well have gone there. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> well, I do appreciate you sharing that. That that was very gracious of you. So thank you. But uh, hey, you know what? It's you're a friend. I uh, you just get a better way of empathizing with people when you experience something like that. 
the funny thing to me is skeptics don't have stories like that. That's How many times true. are they yeah. leaving their comfort zone and going out and doing something yeah, no. like that? So, yeah, for those researchers or skeptics that, you know, are naysayers, that's fine if you have proof to say, here's tangible proof that none of this exists. That's fine. But you can't do that, nor can those that say they do exist come up with that tangible evidence either. So, You know, I go, I go from my experience, and I think of my experience, and then I think about the people's reaction of who I told. Uh-huh. People who, you know, my own family, who used to make fun of the Bigfoot stuff. Until they listened to my encounter that I just shared with you, and they don't laugh anymore. Right. And that's good. Uh, that that makes me feel good to hear that. They just know. Like, they've known me my whole life, and they know the passion I've had for this since I was a kid. And to hear something, that story, and to see it actually take the passion out of me, mm-hmm. uh, I think for them, like for my dad and my uncle and my grandpa, like and my path, I think those were. I think those were stories that that tale was enough for them to think, you know, God, this kid experienced something. In fact, they got my path, who was a real, you know, my path was a heavy hunter. He's not on this planet with us anymore. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, on our last road trip we took together, I shared that story, you know, with him, and he, you know, recounted a story that he had with me while he was out fishing that he couldn't explain. And, you know, he kind of summed it up with, you know, I've lived on this earth now, 70, I think at the point, 74 years. He goes, and I, it was a point where I used to think I knew everything. And he goes, when I listen to a story like that, it makes me think that I know absolutely nothing. Yeah. How about it? Yeah, I know nothing. Not that I'm that old, but I, I know nothing. I cannot be a naysayer. Either way, I can't. I accept everybody's story for what it is that they're telling me, and i that's it. I have, well, we probably have a mutual friend, Corey Likapoy. Uh, you may have seen him in, you know, the group. Corey and I chat quite a bit. He lives up in Winnipeg, Canada, and it took him a while for an experience that he had. He was, here he is, a sass, just like you. He's out researching and and just snooping around. He's never seen one, never had anything, but he's interested in the subject. And here he is out in the middle of the remotes of Canada, in the middle of nowhere, driving on two ruts through a fire break. And here's this thing walking down the side of the fire break, just kind of like kicking the brush with its feet and casually walking and he drives past the thing, and it's you know it stopped. It went into the trees and disappeared. And he gets down to the lake, and there's one other person that was down by the lake. Apparently, he was a fisherman and a native up there. And Corey mentioned to him, he's like, "Hey, is your buddy coming back?" Or he's like, "I'm the only one up here." And and in that moment, Corey was taking pictures of what the area looked like and this thing comes out of the wood line and runs he's standing at the hood of his car and this thing runs behind his car from one side of the wood line to the other and he saw it and it was right there i mean it was right and it took him a long 
time to even get composure. Can you share that story on uh, Into the Fray? Yes, yes. I thought I heard it. Yeah, he did. Incredible. No, it, it is an incredible story. And it took him a long time after that happened just to share it with Shannon. And then he shared more of it with me personally. And he sent me pictures that he was taking at the moment that it happened. But he was taking pictures of a lake. This happened behind him as he turned around. And, of course, he didn't get pictures of it because just like you you're having a wtf moment you're not thinking about oh, i need to take a picture of this you're you're taking your picture in your mind as it's happening and so yeah it's oh, i'm winded i appreciate you so much for stopping by and sharing your story with, with my pleasure. myself and our wonderful audience over at the caravan library of lore thank you sean i greatly appreciate it no problem buddy my pleasure all right we'll talk soon from childhood's hour I have not been as others were. I have not seen as others saw. I could not bring my passions from a common spring. From the same source I have not taken my sorrow. I could not awaken my heart to joy at the same tone. And all I loved, I loved alone. Then, in my childhood, in the dawn of a most stormy life, was drawn from every depth of good and ill, the mystery which binds me still. From the torrent or the fountain, from the red cliff of the mountain, from the sun that round me rolled in its autumn tint of gold, from the lightning in the sky as it passed me flying by, from the thunder in the storm and the cloud that took the form when the rest of heaven was blue, of a demon in my view. Watch your step, let you move on dead. It lay there cold, underneath your last breath.
Snake eyes better catch a spark.